I'm so excited for it, and before we talk about the band we're doing and all the other things, I want to talk about the people who are sitting to my left right now, and you're totally, the, check out the Facebook live feed, you can see it as it happens, sitting to the left, we don't have that, it's not a real thing. <laughs> sitting to my left is my co-creator for this wonderful podcast, Taryn O'Reilly. Taryn! Hello! Hi. How are you doing? I'm Taryn, I'm great. Fantastic. I'm really excited to talk about the Decemberists today. <gasps> you spoiled it! I did, I spoiled it, I'm sorry, it's I couldn't totally, hold it in. It's totally okay. Uh, it's Decemberists, I'm not sure if you guys know this, they are the band that you get when a pair of horn glasses fucks a sea shanty. Uh, that's the Decemberists. And wow. they are here. We're just going there right out. <laughs> uh, but they are uh, fantastic. They're one of the more literary rock groups to come out of the 2000s. And still to this day, they have a following and have changed through so many different styles and sounds that we need help exploring it when it comes to ranking their entire discography, which is why we need another mate on our seafaring ship, which is an analogy Colin Malloy, I'm sure, would like. Guys, sitting to <laughs> my left-left is... Bobby Evers, you may know oh, him hi. as a DJ on Chirp Radio, as a writer for Pop Matters, and so many other different things. Bobby! Hi! How's it going? Oh, it's good. Good, <laughs> good maybe, or vaguely fantastic, maybe? Yes. Awesome. I'm low-key amazing right now. Low-key oh, amazing, okay. which is also the oh, name good. of his biography, which is coming out. <laughs> uh, looking for it in stores this fall. Guys, uh, we were talking about the Decemberists today. Um, now, let's just, before we start jumping into things, the literary things, how did you all get into the Decemberists? I feel like the default answer for this question is college because I feel like they are a band that you generally mostly discover in college. So I, it was actually before college for me. Okay. Um, it was in high school and I was, um, you know, I think it was actually the Dark Was the Night compilation. Oh, um, oh yeah. Good I got choice. that. I got that and I actually <clears throat> first really got into My Brightest Diamond. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. And mm-hmm. through My Brightest Diamond kind of found uh, the Decemberists. Specifically great... because of the hazards of love. So that's, that's actually kind of when I started getting into fantastic. There. Cool, uh, Bobby. How about you? Um, so I it was definitely college. I was new to making compilations. I, I, so I was making like mixtapes a lot, and then I got a computer, so I started making mix CDs. And I wanted <laughs> yeah. to make a theme CD of bands that vaguely sounded like Modest Mouse. <laughs> And someone <laughs> someone That's recommended. Fair. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. But like I so I downloaded the Legionnaires Lament and mm-hmm. I was like, this doesn't sound like Decemberist, but then like my friend Betsy gave me the first two albums and I immersed myself and I was like, Oh my god, I guys, can't go back. Guys, right. Awesome. Yeah. Well they, How about you, Evan? Um here's the thing I don't think I have a very specific starting point they were a band I know in college and it's one of those bands that I knew other people were more into than I was myself and so I picked up songs here and there I kind of assembled things piecemeal Uh, I honestly I think out of everything like I've heard all their albums like all the way through but the first album I ever got myself myself was Hazards of Love Mm -hmm. Uh, because there was and I had friends that were like obsessed with the Rake song and just like oh it's weird how 
they are a band that has changed so much that I feel like there are different fans for each period of the band. Sure. There are those fans that like, I liked it when they were, you know, kind of a literary sea shanty group. I like it when they were doing rock operas. I like it when they sounded like shitty R.E.M. You know, there was all sorts of different things <laughs> that goes through on there, which is why we are doing the task. That's right, guys. It's the Chartographers, so we are going to rank their entire discography and have debates along the way. Bobby Evers, uh, having listened to previous podcasts, uh, he actually did assemble like a list list like line by line item just like Bryce did in our uh, Radiohead podcast we did a while ago which by the way uh, as we record this the Radiohead podcast launched and it went off to a great success so far like it's been the podcast is doing better than I possibly could have hoped so uh, if you're listening right now thank you don't turn it off Wait, I know you're going to want to but please don't uh, but guys let's talk about Taryn Ta by the way Taryn is here to keep me in line because I say this terrible ridiculous things also Bobby I'm too. the anti-host Bobby <laughs> it's like anti-matter but better uh, I just roll my eyes at him. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can actually hear it on the podcast. He'll you do can one. hear the eye roll. Exactly. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, every time you hear an eye roll, take a shot. It's a great drinking mm -hmm. podcast. Speaking <laughs> of drinking, guys, let's drink all these in. Here's what we're ranking right now. In there are seven albums, and and it's weird because we had this debate. Th thankfully, this isn't one of those complicated bands that has like weird, nebulous, otherwise kind of like almost albums, or do we count this kind of things. Uh, they, they have seven flat-out albums. There's an EP that goes with each one, and you can maybe make an argument for, ooh, The Tane. I think that could be like a standalone no, piece No, no one can itself. make that argument. It's uh, 18 minutes long. It's an EP. Right. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things, and you can, and if really, we haven't done live albums. I don't really consider those proper canon. No. In a certain cases, maybe, with the microphones, we might consider that canon, because he did a live album. Was, oh, hey, all new songs, but uh, that's its own thing. So, guys, we are down to seven albums, 2002. Castaways and Cutouts, 2003's <clears throat> Her Majesty the Decemberist, 2005's Picaresque. Am I saying that right, by the way? I say Picaresque. Picaresque? Yeah. I'm going to say Picaresque. Uh, yeah. 2006's The Crane Wife, 2009's Rock Opera, The Hazards of Love, 2011's Homespun, King is Dead, and 2015's Hey, It's an Album, What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World. Guys, we have seven albums to rank, and for those who are listening for the first time, because I just kind of steamrolled over the rules, uh, that is an album where uh, what we do here, we will rank it. We all have our things. We're going to come to a consensus of what the seven albums are ranked, but we're going to have debates along the way. And the great thing about the guests that we have on here and about me and Taryn is that we are all open-minded people where it's like, I kind of have an idea of what the number one album kind of be, but if Bobby has a knockout argument for, like, guys... This is why the Crane Wife is number one. I mean, I'm willing to listen to it. I'm willing to be open. We can hold our ground. We'll battle. But if two people outvote one, you know, we're just going to move on with our lives. So, but let's get down to it. Starting at number seven. I'm going to just toss something out here. Our guest is here, Bobby Evers. Yeah. Don't you pull out your list. All right. I know you know it All from right. memory. All Bobby, right. what is the worst or seventh best Decemberist album? I This might be controversial. I think it will be. I am specifically not a fan of the hazards of love Ooh, yeah. oh no, i just could out not get into it gate ladies and gentlemen out the gate um so walker so you were a fan by this point i was the biggest fan so like crane wife came out you bought it like right away kind of thing i downloaded it right away yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then, so I mean, and I know the previous song that they did for they put it as a free MySpace download uh, at the time was the Rake song, uh, kind of the best standalone iteration that you could have off that. When you heard that, what did you think? I liked the song. I I still like the song. Yeah. Yeah. I I I feel like it's the one. It's sort of like the single. Like it stands alone, and like it's really catchy, and it's really fun live. It's super creepy, and oh it's god, just like live! Awful, I can't but, imagine. Um, yeah. Terrence seen them live. 
Yeah, I saw them live on the Hazards of Love oh, tour. Oh, man. See, that's the thing. I didn't yeah. go to that tour. Uh, I yeah. feel like if I had gone, yeah. there I would have a different appreciation. You know, that was a, yeah. Because really, the Hazards of Love, when I saw that tour, they did the whole album like, as, right. as you set can't one, not, yeah. then right. took a break, yeah. and then did set two of, of previous songs. And both sets were really great. Um, but just the, the their cohesion as a band and just absolutely how hard they were rocking. You know, having, you know, before I went, I was familiar with the rest of their discography. You know, I was a, a pretty big fan at that point. And, um, yeah, I was, I was really impressed with how much this, like, twee, like, <laughs> garden, you know, it's like a, it's almost like a tea party band is what it felt like to me on the early and the early well beloved sure. by the political right albums, so I, you know, and I liked it a lot, but it, but then they went out with Hazards of Love and just totally blew me away. And you know, as part of it was definitely the guests, but but even just the core band themselves, I think they did. They really pushed themselves with that album, and Peter and Funk is a horribly underrated guitarist. Places he's that great. I didn't, Funky you know, movie. I yeah. didn't expect them to go. So yeah, my thing was like, I, I was like, I feel like you're trying to be different, and it's not working, and you should stick with what you know. But I, I concede that like, if I had seen that tour, I would have a completely different opinion. But about. see, but and but I also don't think that they're trying to be different because it's two sides of things that were already there. You know, they had yeah. done rock. You know, you look at when the war came, um, and the tain, and the yeah. tain, uh, you know, or previously, and, and, and the then Crane they also wife, had, it became more pronounced, and they right. had also definitely done. I mean, really long, intricate stories already, and so mm-hmm. it was just a merging of those two things. And I, yeah. I guess my other thing was like I had a hard time following what was happening in the story. That I do agree with, and I feel like if I had known, if it had been clear, maybe mm. if I had a physical copy of the album and could read the lyrics, yeah, I might have felt. But different. like, I mean, I almost think about it in the same way of like, and it's a weird thing to compare, but in terms of modern two thousands rock operas, uh, American Idiot by Green Day. Uh, that's an album that legitimately it ha- it has stories. It has sweets. It has saw you know songs that are teledarative arc, but they also it's one of those things where you can take it as is and enjoy the album on a song by song basis, or you could take it as a full co- vaguely cohesive story. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of it like was not too specific in that regard, but specific enough that it can kind of do dual roles. This does not do that. The reason why the ring song was the lead single is because that is the best single digestible chug, and it is in many ways like a classic rock music, you know, a rock musical because there are looping themes, there are you know melodies and key lines that come back later as different tempos and yeah. played on different instruments and kind of loops it all together and that oh that song uh, the song that launched everything with My Brightest Diamond which one was that one? Uh, oh the, uh, the, the one the good one taking waves repaid oh. yeah. yeah oh yeah when uh, she's just like fucking wailing yeah. up there and just that ah, like that just oh that sustained yeah. power oh it's so good uh, but I agree like it's it's one of the things where, because Colin Malloy is, he very much works with ornate themes. He works with very intricately detailed lyrics. He, a musical, a rock opera was inevitable from them. Yeah. But it's just like, I feel like it, I felt more cohesion listening to The Island from The Crane Wife than I did with this. Oh my gosh. Because I can't, I can't disagree more. By all means. I think The Island is one of their weakest epics. I think that it, it it feels very disjointed for me. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't think they actually switch keys, but it sort of feels like they do sometimes. Yeah. Um, whereas Hazards of Love, I believe, is yeah. almost completely in the same key, and it really it, it's the songs all flow seamlessly from one to another. Mm-hmm. Um, 
No, well, I, I really don't like the island. Okay. <laughs> well, let me let me toss out two quick things here real quick. One, and I want to talk about it because we're talking about, I know we've, we're at number seven, so we have a ways to go. But um, the thing about their al albums, and Bobby, I really want to get your take on this because Taryn and I were talking about this extensively, is their own need for theatricality and how theatricality as a concept, both literally and in terms of how it informs their music, uh, is a good constant throughout their career. How, really, once you start with Her Majesty... Uh, once, I mean, if, at times there's the literal thing where they talk about, I was meant for the stage, mm -hmm. you know, this very ornate thing. And then with Picaresque, you kind of get a little bit more, like, they're really, I mean, Colin Lloyd does stories anyways, but with Picaresque, it's a little bit more presentational. He kind of, like, wraps it into a little bit more accessible songs. And of course, mm -hmm. the cover art, front and back, is very clearly a stage play. Yep. And then the Crane Wife, he has, you know, much stronger story songs in that prog rock sense. And then Hazards of Love, the big epic story that we all knew was inevitable. And then he just kind of was like, well, fuck, I'm done with that now. And then does The King's Dead and What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World. Uh, and I, so I will say, even though I don't have the same narrative cohesion, I agree on that point, there are still enough moments that were work on Hazards of Love, and I say moments, because the album as a whole, as as fascinating a document as it is, I'm not going to necessarily go back to it every time, but I do think I can do one thing here, in terms of number seven. I will not say it's the Hazards of Love, but I will nominate for our last slot, What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World. Hmm. Hmm. So hmm. basically, kind of their REM. I mean, the last two albums are kind of their REM albums, really. Mm -hmm. when I think, and it only clicked with me recently, where it's just kind of they kind of went oh, a little there's bit more. A little... Peter Buck is on the album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. And, and that's not an accident. You know, it's not. Just, it wasn't a high studio position they hired for the day. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's it's there's their REM albums. There's also a little bit of Fleetwood Mac in there, surprisingly, which well, I which Mac. I wasn't looking for until I saw Colin cop to it himself in an interview, and then I was like, oh, and then I found it everywhere, but um, specifically on. Uh, on what a beautiful, terrible world. And now I'm gonna kick myself because I can't remember exactly which song it was. But there are a couple songs on the last two albums that like really sound like Fleetwood Mac, like yeah. Stevie Nicks version of Fleetwood Mac. Interesting. Like, yeah. well, like and it was the thing too where we talk about how on Her Majesty there is, you know, I was meant for the stage, and then you open a terrible world with the singer addresses his audience, mm -hmm. which is like okay, you know, when you're talking about all these different characters or roles that you're taking on, when you're talking about Billy Liar or other things. Uh, then all of a sudden you do this uh, kind of this very self-referencing thing where you drop references into like Axe Body Spray. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it was one of those things where like I know they're a little bit more modern, a little bit more in tune with who they are as rock stars. But it kind of reminded me of when I heard Britney Spears references on the Flaming Lips album that came after uh, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, one of my favorite albums of all time. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, Wayne Coyne, what the fuck are you doing? I'm listening, I listened to that album. I'm like, dude, you don't need to do this. Like you're so referencing Britney Spears. It doesn't actually progress you or in endear you to the mainstream. It actually dates you in a really terrible way and that's kind of that's kind of what i felt a little bit here um all and, I, that being said philomena is the best song he's ever done about going philomena. down on a girl yeah so uh, so good. <laughs> uh yeah. bobby walk us through terrible world well uh so i don't know i was really excited when it came out just because like it, it had yeah so like when it uh, when it came out, it came out on iTunes Radio the week before it premiered, mm -hmm. and I was able to listen to it over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got super into it because like I am one of those who really likes their sea shanty days. And I don't think it's like sea shanty, but I felt like in some ways it was a return to form, like very yeah. lush sounds, very like mm -hmm. self-contained like narrative things that I really enjoyed. And I just thought it was so pretty. So like yeah. it's definitely not 
my my least favorite. Yeah, also. but at the same time, my only argument against that is Cavalry Captain is kind of a boring ass yeah. song. I I skip it. Well, right, you skip that, but then I also skip like tracks nine through thirteen, which like oh. the, the like, entire back half of the album. Basically, I just. I, I, because anti-summer song sucks, and guys. It does. I don't even remember it. Right. Right, exactly. And I don't even remember, like, I remember the the Obama quote yeah. more than the actual songs itself. Oh, God. On, I really right. like it. On 1217. And, and so, yeah. I, I just, I, I feel like... I acknowledge that they do reference themselves a bit more. It's a much more of a self-conscious album. While King is Dead does very much have an identity, regardless of however you think about the quality of that album, this is just kind of an everything album. Well, this is yeah. a blender. But I did... There's a did, cowboy song. Sort of, what, <laughs> yeah. sort of what Bobby mentioned, I did also like that it was a return to the Vaguely, Decemberist yeah. that I had been missing when yeah, I listened yeah. to The King is Dead. Yep. Um, and so that's why I also would not... Put it at number seven. I would actually put Her Majesty the Decemberists at number oh, seven. Whoa! Shots fired! Mic drop. Uh, um, now the only reason. Now here's a funny little thing too, by the way, because uh, while we were talking before this podcast, uh, and Bobby was asking about the list of the formal rules and everything, it's like, so I just want to say, like, if something happens, we're like, guys, I want to put Her Majesty the Decemberists at number seven. I get to like fight back, right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm like, Bobby, that might not actually happen because um, uh, we. I mean, it's. Funny, I mean, we're talking about these uh, wildly different opinions, which I think is fascinating about their discography. Yeah. But also, um, listen, Her Majesty kind of sucks a little bit. Well, here's the Whoa. thing. Here's the thing about Whoa. it, though. I know, now, Bobby, you did mention that they were your first two albums, and I want you to kind of re- uh, talk about uh, why you love them in a little bit. But the thing that was weird, and I was talking to Taryn about this, was that uh, Castaways and Cutouts, well, I feel like Her Majesty is, like, very erudite, very simple, where it feels like he almost wrote the lyrics first and then set them to song. That's what the album sounds like. It feels like the songs, these very kind of basic kind of strummy little songs, are kind of, aside from, of course, uh, you know, some of the latter stuff. But, I, like, they're just kind of meant for... Uh, they're meant for to serve the words. And I feel like with Castaways and Cutouts, they really wrote more formalized songs and focused a little bit more on melody yeah, than they did like on lyrics. So weirdly, Her Majesty, in my mind, sounds more like their debut, more like mm. they're kind of coming into their own before uh, ca- uh, before Castaways got, and of course, uh, Picaresque. So that's kind of my take. Bobby, walk us through why that's your number one album. Okay. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> song from Isla Goldberg. Uh-huh. Uh, Red Red Ankle. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, it's really song from Ellen Gold. Bachelor and the Bride. Like, these are songs that, when I hear the first notes, it, like, strikes to my heart, and I die a million times. <laughs> like, and it might just be, like, the time and place that I heard them, and, like, what the impression was left yeah. on me, but, like, I can't You can't shake. divorce yourself. Yeah, like, I feel like every album has been a stepping off point from that album. Interesting. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, I can, hmm, I, I can kind of see that. I mean, that kind of goes with what you were saying. It feels like their debut. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, but I mean, the thing is, listen, the soul ring life is like, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it though? I mean, <laughs> counterpoint. Is it? But <laughs> I like red right ankle. I also I've seen them do live, and so it really holds a special place mm-hmm. in my heart. It's for sure one of the strongest songs on here. Also, yeah, Bachelor and the Bride for sure. Yeah. 
Um, I really like Los Angeles, I'm Yours, but that's because I have the softest Bad spot I'm for yours. LA songs. No, for orchestration, yeah. which mm-hmm. is they use beautifully on that track. Yeah. It also sounds like Benny and the Jets, which is interesting. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah interesting. Totally. <laughs> um, it We're does. We're gonna come back to rock references a little bit later on. But <laughs> outside but of that, I mean, but uh, but that's uh, what stands out yeah. on that album for me. And after that, the songs really kind of blend together. They seem like. And, and maybe this is because I am someone who came to their discography From after the they ha- they had yeah. a, a couple albums out already. Um, but it a lot of songs on Her Majesty, I just hear them and I go, oh, well, they did this again better on this album. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, guys, here's the thing. We're at number seven right now. Clearly, something beautiful is going to fall along the way. Uh, so we need to go ahead and do it here. Now, I threw out there, what a terrible world, what a beautiful world, but that's only because I listened to it very recently. Honestly, I could be swayed with that, or I could be swayed with Her Majesty, just because it feels like the songs by themselves don't have the same weight that they do, in, in terms of purely thematically. So, Taryn, if it's okay with you... Yes? Well... I think... Don't worry about Bobby's feelings. No, no, They're no. not important in this discussion <laughs> besides, at all. You no, know that. Besides Bobby's feelings, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I have very strong feelings for The Hazards of Love, and he has very strong feelings for Her Majesty. I don't think... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Do any of us have strong feelings about what, what a, a terrible, terrible world, world would be for the world? Not as strong as Her Majesty. Right. Okay. Yeah. So should we go ahead and lock that in at number seven, then? I mean, we might as well go to be here all night. Yeah, right. Right. that's what I was thinking, yeah. too. And guys, this is a 10-hour podcast. I know you saw it beforehand <laughs> because we spend 20 minutes talking about every individual song. But, um, all right, in that case, let's go ahead here just for the, I mean, for the sake of consensus and also because it's not their best, uh, let's go ahead and put What a Terrible World. By the way, if you know anyone where their favorite album is What a Terrible World, Beautiful World, punch them. I'm wow. kidding. Well, Don't wow. do that. No, that's not. Legitimately, I want to hear why Yeah, because so, I'm confused. Fans of the podcast, please go to our SoundCloud so page and leave uh, leave it's, notes. Okay, it's pretty, Yeah, but then like, but what, Carolina Lowe's pretty? I yeah. do remember some parts of it. Yes, that's the other thing too. Uh, we talked about Mistral. God, I hate Mistral. Oh, I hated that fucking song so remember. much. How does that go? I actually, right! right exactly. it, some of it's forgettable, but I skipped that part and I just luxuriate in like the Lake Song and The better, Wrong Year and Philomena and 121712 and beginning song. Philomena, I actually, and I Philomena actually, I like because it's cheeky, not in the way that singer that addresses audience is cloying, but also because it legitimately sounds like it could belong on Picaresque, or because it could belong, actually, on a lot of their albums. It's just kind of wherever you want to drop it's it. It's like the Billy Liar of yeah. that album. Yeah. Because he's like, Billy Liar is oh, like watching can, people in. Can we talk about, of, by the way. I hate Billy Liar. It gets on you. It can, gets on you. Can we? It, it really does for him too. Uh, once he pulls his knickers down. But wow. uh, really, the thing is that uh, <laughs> in, in really kind of revisiting all this stuff, Colin Malloy, he is a horny motherfucker. Like the closest thing I can actually correlate to um, is Jarvis Cocker of Pulp. He's like almost like the American version of that. Someone who's very literate, uh, who writes a lot of songs about class and you know story songs about people you know, in various times, and also is just fucking horny all the time he wants to bang so many people and like i think he's horny on some songs i think yeah. i think you're allowed to be horny on some songs right yeah, yeah. i'm mean, not all songs i'm <laughs> not saying you know like, he's like, very sweet sometimes yeah very, <laughs> I, yeah even exactly. when he's horny he's sweet yeah, yeah. that's true too <laughs> that's true too even when he's horny you're like 
Oh, that was still kind of nice. Oh, God, can you imagine the prelude that he has to have his lover sign before they do sex? Like, God. it's got to be like, yeah, like his foreplay is like act two. I'm like, oh, God, really? What's going on now? Anywho, uh, guys, we did that. We obviously are at odds. Before we decide on the number six, because clearly we're going to be butting up heads along the way, I just want to drop something out there. Guys, how do we feel about The King is Dead? I like it. Uh, I disliked it at first because it's not what I wanted the Decemberists to be. Which is fair. 100% fair. Now that I just listen to it as music, it has... Charm. It has charm and it has a couple really good songs on it. And it's still... It's still... When you take away presentation and listen to melodies, Mm -hmm. it's still very Colin Malloy. Mm -hmm. It's just... That he... (laughs) wanted to make an album that sounded like American music, so he got Gillian Welch to help him do that. <laughs> yeah. I and, guess, I don't know. And so, and so sometimes he is making a side of Ameri- quote-unquote American music that mm-hmm. annoys me, so I don't like it. Yeah, and well, like fucking Rocks in the Box. Rocks in the Box I don't is a garbage it. song. Yeah, I don't <laughs> Rocks in the box. Oh, really? Really, Colin? You're counting to ten? Oh, <laughs> good job. Yeah. I guess my my feeling is like so. I'm clearly coming from like a Her Majesty Decemberist era, era. Um, and so like Crane Wife has a love like was sort of a departure from that until the point. Um, so like when they came out with King is Dead, I was like, okay, this is closer to what I want. It's not right. this. It's not Her Majesty. It's really but not. It's, yeah. It's I like what they're doing. It's it's less tomfoolery and ballyhoo. <laughs> By the way, I'm getting that for my uh, text alert for Bobby. What he just said just there, Tom mm-hmm. Fuller and Ballyhoo. Oh, Bobby's texting me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I, I agree with that. Did. I mean, when I talk about, I, and I really am explicit about the REM reference there because it really feels like this is kind of there. I feel like with a lot of different musicians, and this came up in a previous podcast too, especially in the Beck podcast, where we talked about how certain musicians, as they age, as they get older and more into their craft, they actually stop becoming songwriters and start becoming craftsmen. In the sense that basically, like, instead of, like, I'm trying and, like, pushing myself to, like, try and hit these new angles or these new heights, at one point they're just like, guys, I can write songs, right? And you can clearly hear, like, this kind of much more polished, much more formal, they can do any song any day of the week, and I think Prince Mm -hmm. is an artist who ran into that, who during the 80s and during some of the 90s, he was, like, pushing his boundaries over and over, and then just kind of fell into his ways a little bit, where it's just like, I mean, he could do songs, and he did a lot of songs. Some of them were good, a lot of them were bad, but he just kind of became a formal craftsman, and I feel like there's a clean break after the Hazards of Love. Like, he wanted to do an American album, but it also feels very kind of, not necessarily tossed off, but very ramshackle, very just kind of a lot more plaintive, and also not as challenging. It does A song doesn't necessarily have to be challenging to be good, well, but... I mean, that was, I don't know, like, that was the album that, like, made them the number one, like, it was number yeah. one on the Billboard. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's because they sounded like everyone else. Right. So <laughs> so there's some success there. Like there's yeah. some I That's, don't know. And but it's not success that I necessarily correlate because as we well, know it's not success that I necessarily need to take heart in either because I and and I was talking with Evan about this earlier too uh, and it's it's less obvious on what a terrible world honestly but on the king is dead you can really hear Colin uh working to remove his affectation like mm. yeah his, his vowels are very open and he Staddle he's saying he's all these words he's placing it like his his <laughs> vocal placement is very good like i almost to the extent where i think that he got like vocal lessons like there was someone in studio with him saying mm. good now do this next time you're singing it like 
there's specific like vocal technique happening and it bothers me because it it takes away the charm mm. that their music used to yeah. have and it, even Inter- in interest even in like picaresque crane wife hazards of love you can really hear him from the first two albums exploring himself more as a vocalist you know obviously he'd been doing it for years at that point so it, you can't help but gain those skills and become stronger you know produce a more solid sound but then yeah when it got you know, into late phase Decemberists, it really, it, it made it, specifically, it made it sound like any 40-year-old rock dude could be putting this song out and putting it on the radio and it would be doing just as well. Like, yeah. it didn't matter that it was the Decemberists anymore. Yeah. So that's why I really didn't like The King is Dead. Yeah. It's still, it's not, I mean, at this point, by the way, it's not like we're saying any of these albums are, like, terrible, like, fuck you guys, but, like, we're, I mean, we want to kind of get to, like, the actual meat of it, because when, really, when you think about it, and you can say that you like the album, which I believe, but I also have a feeling if I were to look at your iPod and look at your most played list, like some sort of black hat hacker, um, <laughs> I would see that I don't think the King of Dead would necessarily have as many, like, January Hymn, sure, great, baller-ass song, uh, but this is the Why We Fight, one of their biggest radio songs you've ever had, that does almost nothing for me. Oh, you know what This Is Why We Fight sounds like? What? To the letter, it sounds like Guster. <laughs> it sounds like Guster. The 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 picky guitar, the really fast yeah, under yeah. the verses, and the way the chords move, uh-huh. and the the like. Uh, I don't. It's not a saxophone, mm-hmm. but it's some sort of wind instrument that they use as like a, a sort of hook at the end of each chorus. Yeah. That Bobby, Guster uses all the Bobby time. Bobby is in a pose, by the way. I have I have a thought. Okay, so. One thing that I noticed with Lake Song on What a Terrible World uh-huh. is that it starts, the opening line of Lake Song is, down by the lake, and there's a song on The King is Dead called Down by the Water. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what else? Down by the ocean, down by the brook, down by the creek. Like, what other bodies of water can we be down by? Uh, on down, uh, next? Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Down by the puddle? Down by the puddle. Uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> this is good. What, what down else do you have? Pond. Down by the pond. Yeah. Down by the... Uh, Bay. I started making a playlist of songs that were about water, and like those were both on there. And it's like, was there ever... a lot of Indigo Girls? <laughs> there should be. I have to go revise that tonight. Guys, if you ever need anything to know about our guest Bobby Evers, he made a playlist of songs about water once, and I love it. And that's why I love him, and that's why he's here. Uh, but that why. being said, uh, we just that talked about a lot. Um, I feel like even with our various thoughts and opinions, I feel like we could comfortably probably fit King is Dead here at number six and not have. Maybe are we gonna? Or, or maybe Bobby, are you? Do you? I mean, are you still gunning for Hazards of Love? No, because ha- oh fuck, dude. So oh, so, okay. See again, this is the thing that happens when you start going through it. You remember a lot more, and it's just like oh. I don't know. I when I the list that I have in my head is Crane Wife is number six. But I guess like I don't know. I like Hazards <laughs> of Love even less <laughs> I'm than. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. I don't like that there's consensus. I feel I like we should be able to, to say our own list because we're clearly like really different. Oh, but I love fans. it. I love it so much because this is the whole point of the debate because here's the thing. Other people are going to be listening right now and there's going to be like, I'm Team Bobby or like, I'm yeah. Team Taryn or no only one, those two options. No one's going to say that. But um, you're right, exactly. <laughs> so that's why I think it's fascinating. I think it's a debate worth having. But only I'm only going to say one more time because I'm not sure we're going to be able to come to anything else. King is dead at number six because, well, Taryn, you seemed against that idea too. Could you not really? Maybe. No, I can. I can 
could give that up. I mean, it feels like a little too easy because they're putting their most recent albums there. Yeah, right. so, but, but also this, they're their worst albums. So. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. It's not just a matter of their newness. I think it's also a matter of the fact that, and you sometimes run at this. I'm not saying that Colin Malloy is artistically bankrupt as a songwriter, but I feel like when I hear these two albums, I don't necessarily hear the same a joy to vivre in them. I don't necessarily hear the yeah. same fire that I did before, which is fine. It could be stately, but also, like, yeah. The what? Calamity song just makes me roll my eyes. How's that one start? It goes, ah, uh, yeah, uh, girl. You know what? And you're like, guess what? Really? Because of what you just did just there, I'm making the executive call. <laughs> Guys, King is dead at number six. Guys, this is, I, I mean, I knew this was going to be a brutal podcast going into it. Man. I'm just surprised. Bobby is like in complete shock and disarray. He's like, Guys, what? We have my name taken off of this. <laughs> By the way, guys, bleep Evers is here. Wow. Uh, this is oh, this is so fascinating. All right, well, this, let's go ahead. Let's have Bobby take the shit. Let's take the stick shit. Well, mean, you know, he still wants to put the hazards of love at number five. And I think and listen, here's, I might just have to concede that because... <laughs> well, here's the thing. Well, one thing we haven't done yet is we haven't also talked about the Crane Wife like as a whole. And can I just talk about how the Crane Wife and Picaresque have kind of a weird correlation in the fact that they have really catchy lead singles that sound like almost nothing else on the album... Picaresque, specifically 16 Military Wives, and on this one, Ovalencia. Mm. Like, it's yeah. just so odd how there's kind of these... You don't seem to agree, Taryn, yeah. but, like, well, these standout pop singles I that are just like... That, huh? I think that 16 Military Wives... 16 Military definitely, Wives? Definitely uh, is different from, but certainly fits on the same album as The Sporting Life. Yeah. You know, they made Man, they made different <laughs> different but similar decisions. Yeah. What did you say? I said that's such a good album. It's yeah. right. <laughs> I think Picaresque is a really great album. Um, we'll get to that much later. No, but I I also think I don't I'm not ready to talk about the Crane Wife yet. I okay. Walk I, us through it. Yeah. Let's just put it at number five. Because like <laughs> Bobby's taking control of the podcast. Wait, are we talking about Crane Wife or... Yeah, which, which album? Yeah, Crane Wife or Hazards of Love? Hazards of Love. Oh, okay. Because I can't just, like, put on Hazards of Love. Like, I can put on any of these other albums, but I, I don't feel like I just want to, like, put on Hazards of Love you and, know, like, go about my day. I do pretty often. Yeah, but here's the thing. No, but, I actually... I agree with that. Uh, in terms of... I mean, like, it's one of the things where... Because even then, you could still admit by yourself that as great as a thing as it is, there are still flaws with Hazards of Love. Oh, yeah, there are certainly flaws. And I was also about to say I... Uh, skip the last four songs really consistently i think it kind of falls apart um, at the end. although can we briefly talk about how uh margaret in captivity how the guitar riff on there completely cops the riff from wanted dead or alive by yeah. uh bon jovi yeah you were that's amazing that. and, and that's amazing i was skeptical but he played it for me it's it's true it's pretty checks much out. i know which is such out. a it, it, it's spinning the jets and the and yeah the exactly yeah. like they have these weird like kind of like music nerd you know bingo things that go on with some of their albums <laughs> and, like <laughs> they do explicitly reference things that they're into and like that one is a little bit more deliberate than anything that they've done before in that way uh but i thought that was fascinating but i agree too where the fact that i can appreciate it as an album but that's the only way to appreciate it because sometimes like if i put on the engine driver i'm fucking happy as a goddamn clan because that mm -hmm. i think is one of the greatest songs yeah. i've ever done and yet at the same time i'm not necessarily gonna go ahead guys have you heard isn't it a lovely night have you heard the wanting comes in waves reprise right like it's just and it's not well, necessarily obviously not reprise <laughs> but like <laughs> pay them repaid <laughs> yeah exactly which is a fantastic way to go into it but even then, yeah, it's no. It's I'm I'm gonna I will admit defeat on this one, and we can okay. put Hazards of Love at five. 
That's fantastic. And here's the thing, though. This isn't necessarily a knock of the hazards of love. It's just in terms of this very difficult... But only if we put Her Majesty next. <laughs> oh, the shit is wow. on! Uh, so what would... Uh, I know. Bobby, I, Bobby's looking like, and I. If you look at the track lists of the four remaining albums, Her Majesty easily has the most filler tracks. Bob, you've seen them live, right? Uh, yes. What what tour was that? Was that King's Dead? I have seen them multiple times. What was I your saw favorite them, time? My favorite time may have been on the PRS tour because it was in a small bar in my college town, and I camped out in the front, and it was like a stage like this tall, like the top, the the height of your desk, uh-huh. and like he's right there, in my and studio. like looking at my facial expressions and like reacting and like. Um, and okay well yeah, yeah that sounds great yeah. yeah exactly but at the same time i mean it's not just a matter of being in the front row because we've been really close to the shows that have been kind of eh. uh like I mean, when I we know. you know like when we saw ben folds and we were like fifth row back and then like an hour into the show darren's like i want to go home I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh he's playing with the chamber orchestra i get it it's okay i already interviewed him but um at the same time like i it's I, I get that. But also I feel like that's a tour where the selection of songs they had to cull from on top of the ones they had previously, like that is like the best installation. Because I saw their live album that they did that they put out in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fucking did Rocks in a, the Box live! Yeah. Why would they do that? Yeah, they did. They, they did it when he I saw them. He loves that on, song. He loves the song. They also, did it when I saw them on the King Is Dead tour too. You know, and listen, uh, I know that it's all is already buried and dead, but also All Arise from King Is Dead. Fucking hate that song too. That is a boring ass song. Anywho, um, so <laughs> I just kind of want to kick it while it's down. While it's two can. albums oh, ago, woo! Uh, it's exciting times. But guys, this also leads to the place. What do we have left? Castaways and Cutouts, Her Majesty, Picaresque, and The Crane Wife. Okay. Oh, this is this is. I mean, I'm feeling it right now. This is gonna really come down, and I feel like honestly. And here's the one thing I will say to both of you, because I know both of you kind of have to bury things that are close to your heart so far. Um, we getting the. Bobby hasn't had love, to bury shit yet. Yeah. What oh, are you talking about? Oh, okay. No, he was defending <laughs> all of them aside from Hazards of Love. Yeah. Uh, but like, we're kind of getting it down into it, and part of me, I mean, not necessarily that we're gonna use personal bias to influence what we think is obviously the definitive ranking of the greatest albums of all time, but um. Yeah, that Her Majesty. Because here's the thing: I'm looking at just pick any random song from any of them. You could say, uh, so, yeah, "The Cra- Sons and Daughters" is the closer of the Crane Wife, which is so gorgeous and so unpretentious and so just beautiful. Uh, even it's a little pretentious. Okay, a little bit pretentious. <laughs> uh, and even the, actually, the, honestly, the closer of Picaresque too, uh, of Angels and Angles. I love that uh, mm, a lot, okay. which is just this deeply emotional thing. And I feel like I could also be every single these two albums kind of each have their own world. Hazards of Love has a world that they force upon the audience because clearly it's an opera that they got to do it, and that's the thing about Terrible World, Beautiful World. Ironically, despite the title, it doesn't really have a world. It feels like a shamble of songs. It kind of is like, yeah. oh, let's stroll through their discography. Each of these albums that we have left have distinct, definitive work. Uh, uh, things and I am really curious. I also kind of want to avoid it the way it's going right now, uh, ranking their albums in reverse chronological order. Oh, um, that, won't, that won't be the end. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying right now. So that being said, uh, Taryn, are you still sticking with her? Her Majesty. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Bobby, what at this point, what you would throw Crane Wife at number four? I would throw Crane Wife at number four. Okay, fantastic. Well, now it's the Evan equation to come rolling in down with my big old swaggering boat. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> everyone has shut me down with this analogy, by the way. Uh, in terms of what we have left, again, we have very strong albums, and I have to be honest, uh, when I think about Her Majesty, 
Uh, and even, here's the thing, I feel like there are songs on there that I can appreciate more than I actually enjoy. And that's what I feel like they were at at that stage. For example, a, a, you, typically you should love The Gymnast High Above the Ground, and I can appreciate the storytelling elements of it as a, as a actual genuine song. It has these, you know, moments and these motions, but I don't necessarily feel... And then feel... it's really boring. Yeah, exactly. And then it has really exciting parts, and then it's boring no. again. No. Yeah, it's, it, Bobby it's disagrees. <laughs> What's your favorite and least favorite song from Her Majesty? My, oh, great question, Evan. I'm glad you asked. My least favorite is definitely Shanty for the Arethusa, because <laughs> it's a really weak way to open an album. It I is. mean, like, it's, it's a weird it's tone got theater. Theater. Yes. Yeah, and the rest of the tone isn't like that. Um, my favorite, it's a toss-up between Red Right Ankle and Song for Myla Goldberg, just because, song, I don't know. Your love of Song for Myla Goldberg is so fascinating to yes. me, because that is not, uh, not one of my favorites, but that's okay. Uh, and also, I just began thinking about it, it's like, did they just have shitty openers on some of the ones? I'm like, no, they don't, because I remember yeah. uh, Infantata off of Picaresque, and then it was pretty okay. So, you know, here's the thing. I got a big old swing and bow right here, and I'm going to throw it here. To Her Majesty, only because it does right. feel like their debut. It does feel like it's just kind of this standard set of songs that they built so much off of later on, but it feels Casters and Cutouts is even then a little bit more formalized than there. So it's a tough battle, but we are burying our babies, and that's okay. So number four on the list, Her Majesty December. So guys, we are four albums in, we have three left. What are the three we have left? Castaways and Cutouts from 2002, Picaresque 2005, and The Crane Life on 2006. <gasps> oh my god. Taryn, what do we put at number three? My uh, number three pick is Picaresque. Really? Um, really? Now walk us through why. Um, Because... Look, I really like all three of these albums. Yeah. So at this, this is, point, yeah. let's let's also talk about how I'm as much choosing, as we are forcing them into an arbitrary list. Honestly, like, in order to defend my number three spot, I kind of just have to talk about how great I think the other two are. But as far as Picaresque is concerned, um, I think the the Infanta is a is a pretty good opener. Mm -hmm. It's not their best opener. Mm -hmm. um, but then the the trifecta after that both go down together eli the Bear boy sporting life are like three of their best songs um obviously 16 military wives is like up there for my favorite decemberist song mm -hmm. um and yeah angels of angle and angles is is beautiful. i always i always thought of angles of angels and angles was a weaker red red ankle Interesting. No, I don't think you're wrong about that. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, I yeah, actually yeah. also would say you're not wrong. Yeah. I just still like it. <laughs> it's still um, But other than that, I actually really don't like the Mariner's Revenge song. I think that similarly to the island, um, it meanders a little too much. It's fun to sing along to in a bar. It's but also yeah, fun to see them show. perform live and watch yeah. them like act like they have sea legs reenact like, a whale. Yeah. yeah but it still w wasn't a great song yeah. live it was just fun mm -hmm. and i as as the centerpiece in a way that it kind of is i just i don't know um and there's just a a couple other songs on there bagman Ga bagman's gambit 
doesn't fine. just it's fine. doesn't do a ton for it's also me. Seven minutes long too. And again, right. like they, it, sometimes they will justify the length of their songs. On the bus they nail, are... actually from this on the same album. Yeah, on the bus I do mom. like. Also, I mean, that, I mean that is a story song. I don't usually hear limp dick uh, guys on the on the dock very often as a line. Yeah, that song was so good because like I would listen to it and not to think think too much of it. And then my friend Sean pointed out that like it is about two male prostitutes, and I was like. What? <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, why do you think that? And he's like, because in the picture, it's two boys. Like, each yeah. image in the album art has a corresponding, like, still image, and it's two boys. And I was like, oh, shit. That, you know, yeah. changes it. Yeah, exactly. The whole story in my mind, like, yeah, cool. This is great. So, before we do anything else, though, walk us through why you think Crane Wife is number three. Okay. The well, crane, he wife. crane wife at number six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, this is just so, a dead ghost coming back to haunt him. There also are a good basis for calling Maloisa. There are some pretty moments on the crane wife, but I feel like overall it's trying too hard to be a quirky storytelling <laughs> song. I also feel like starting your album with part three of a song is, is it's it's not pretentious <laughs> as much as it reminds me of like trying to be in the airplane of the sea, where like. Like, it's just like, here's part one, and it's like loosely related, but like not quite as I, I, that sounds like personal grudge more than it does. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like I got I'm gonna nix that. Wait, what, uh, no, that, that's, I mean, yeah. that was what my impression yeah. was when I first heard the album. No, I was I, like, that's fair. this yeah. is, mm. I mean, I don't agree, but it's fair. Uh, also, yeah, the fact that they did Summer Song on this, and then they did Anti Summer Song, and just kind of shed all over it later on, what a terrible world. <laughs> Again, these albums are buried in dead, but at the same time, fuck that album. Uh, I don't know, I just didn't have fun listening to The Crane Wife 1 and 2. Really? Really? Because I, I would just get it, was, it would meander, and I would just like check out. I'm like, all right. And then my really? sister would also sing along to it, and this like really cloying <laughs> voice would be like, "My crane wife," and like she would refer to me as her crane wife, and like it was very so, funny. So it was okay. like this teasing. So this is why you hate the crane wife. Yeah, like I mean, like it wasn't picaresque. Yeah. And so it. It was a little disappointing. That's one of the biggest thing it has against us. It's not Peter Rest, let's be real. I like the Crane Wife because it feels like it feels it still feels a lot like the band of the first three albums, but mm-hmm. they're trying a lot of new things. Right. I mean they, this is like their prog album. They never to a have a they, groove like yeah. they do on Perfect Crime number two. Yeah, or that's like, a great song. Or like when the war came, going full, he, but it's like, not like, blown a out. Th- like, Shank Hill Butcher, Butchers, too, is still, like, a nice kind of, like... Oh, totally. They're not completely changed themselves, but it's clearly they're branching out, trying yeah. new things. Um, And I actually, in on the complete opposite of what Bobby said, I think the Crane Wife saga is the best thing they've ever recorded if you count all three parts together. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, well, here's the thing. I'm, like, I'm, doing this, I'm starting a new podcast called Music Fights and I'm going to have Taryn and Bobby in it. Is that not what this is? Gonna... <laughs> this is what this album... This, Seven this albums enter, one leaves. Shank Hill Butchers also reminded me of Shanty for the Arethusa. Like it, it seems like the same song to me. It seems like they're re- repeating well, the covered they ground. Use a polka. All, but at the same time, uh, Yankee Bayonet's pretty bob baller. I just want to throw that out there. Um, so, guys, I honestly want to think about this here because we are down to three here. So it is like it is a tough, tough ball of nuggets. I'd also say that O Valencia is a better version of July July. Hot take. That is a hot take, and uh, I'm cooling it right now. And, and this is a great debate to have. But honestly, since we are talking about these really great albums, I'm looking at what's left here. I have to throw my vote. 
towards Bobby on well, this one here because shit. honestly, uh, it's it's one of the things where I, it's an album that I do appreciate, and I do appreciate also the Crane Wife one and two, especially not as much three. Uh, but it, it, there are fantastic moments on here. They are growing and they're expanding. Uh, and part of the reason is that because of that proggy expansion, because they are extending their lengths and trying different, not necessarily structured songs in the traditional sense, and they're trying suites and movements and other things. It doesn't hold together in the same exact cohesive way. There are the moments when it works, it's spectacular. And then there are the moments when it just kind of yeah, fizzles a little bit. And I can't necessarily say that in the same way about Picaresque. And I'm not saying that Picaresque or Castaway and Cutouts are flawless albums. I just feel like when it comes overall, I do have to realize that the, those two albums are so much stronger. Bobby is grinning right now, <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a thing that grins a lot, uh, you know. A shit eater. Uh, <laughs> Great Colin Malloy song, by the way. <laughs> so I'm going to throw my vote here, guys. The Crane Wife is going to number three. But now we are at a crossroads like you wouldn't believe. Because, guys, we're down to picaresque and an album we haven't talked about. And I'm honestly very surprised by this. Because when we usually do the podcast, we, again, we kind of intuit how it's going to go. We kind of rank it by ourselves. And it's always there's that one album that we don't really talk about until much later on in the game. Mm -hmm. And it's... Castaways and Cutouts, their debut, and why is that? What is the hold of that album, and how is it already up to potentially number two? My favorite part about Castaways and Cutouts is that it's, like, even among the fans, I think it's often lauded as their best work, mm -hmm. even though it is not what rose them to fame mm -hmm. at, like, basically any point. Mm -hmm. Like, you know... I. I think Crane Wife was when I first really started hearing about them. I know that they had some momentum before then. Right. But I, I mean, we all like, kind of heard these, you know. I feel like no matter when you find the Decemberists, even people who found them during King is Dead and heard, you know, Down by the Water on the radio, they found the Decemberists, they went through their discography, they listened to Castaways and Cutouts, and they were like, this is amazing. Um, I think Leslie Ann Levine is a really strong opener, and... Uh, I always forget how much I like it, and then I listen to it again, and I'm like, oh, God, yeah, yeah. this song. Any song you know, about a ghost baby is it's a, <laughs> It's from, the, like, actually, like, yeah. But who does that? Right, Who writes yeah. a four-minute song from the perspective of a, a three-hour-old baby that died <laughs> and has now been a ghost for 15 years? Like, like that's just insane. Yeah. And then you move on to... Here I dreamed, dreamt, or here I dreamt I was an architect. Basically, which a is perfect. Like yeah, a, yeah, just a yeah, perfect. Yeah, hundred percent. And all the ways that the the way the chorus builds and the way that the the, the guitar parts. And as much as I love together, the engine driver, it feels like it's just a based off of your exactly. Engine sure. sure. driver yeah. is like a is is like a newer version of architect, but architects did it mm -hmm. just so perfectly. But July, July, I think is almost the spoiler in a sense because that one, Adelaide, and hearing it, you think about these very classic, you know, like you know, like these very you know, high and brow-falutin kind of songs. This is elbow patch music, you know. But at the same time, I hear that and I'm like, there is a pure British pop energy that comes through here. Like yeah. a love of the kinks and a love of other things that just surprises me. It doesn't show that they're all kind of stuffied up and taxidermy. They're actually like living, breathing people, which is, I, you know... Go ahead, Bobby. One thing that's weird about July, July for me is that like at a certain point, I stopped being able to hear the vocals and the music together mm -hmm. I hear them separately and I don't know if it's because like I was hmm. listening on certain headphones or something but like I hear the vocals in one ear and I hear the music in another ear and I can I can imagine the recording studio where yeah. Colin Malay was where he's like singing in a quiet studio with his headphones on well that's uh 
that's actually real. The opening guitar strum is only in one of the channels, ah. and then the the guitars that come in the like that's in both ears. Yeah, that might be what's but, going on. But like, it, it feels like it's like the vocals are super loud or like separate. Like it it doesn't cohere in a way that I don't love it either. Yeah, yeah. It, I liked it at first, and that and now that's all I can hear. I'm yeah. like, right, this sounds weird. Right. It, well, it sounds. It, I mean, and even though I love Caspies and Cutouts, I love it. I, I will admit, it definitely, even moving into Her Majesty and then especially moving out to Picaresque, you're like, oh, they have a budget now. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Castaways and Cutouts is made like, on very a clearly made, you know, on their budget. Yeah. They poured Which, their money into and this. I love and it. you love it. You can almost yeah. hear that passion come through. We're like, and, you know, and then, I mean, I do have a love for lo-fi recordings just because you always get that, like, that greediness, that realness to it too, but you really hear it like, guys, this might be our only shot. So, a daring song like The Legionnaire's Lament. And even something like California One, uh, you know, that's a very, <laughs> you know, elongated California and just One. beautiful. And like, I feel like that's not a long song. That's a song that takes its time. And that's yeah. a very fine difference because other times they did not take their time. They made long songs. And here, this is one like, this groove needs to play out the way it needs to go, guys. Yeah. So, and that's... Well, and especially because it really has three movements, uh-huh. even though it, it, it only has two titles. But California One happens, and then there's there's a, a different thing that happens kind of in the middle. Is, are and you then, also speaking of like the part where they have that clip from the Guy well, Madden movie? No, and then it slips into then the slips clip. Into that. And that's sort of the transition from part two to three mm. into Youth and Beauty Brigade. Yeah. Um, but besides that, it's yeah. just, I. it's a gorgeous piece of music. It, uh, it never loses momentum, even during the quieter parts. It's, there's still a lot of tension, but there's, there's tension, but there's hope in it. Um, and I think it's, it's something that they like, they tried to recreate again later and they just, they Mm -hmm. don't quite, like, they don't quite recreate California one. Um, the love is gone. Guys. Yeah. This, I gotta be honest though, this can go either way for me. Like, it's like, we're down to like really astonishing albums. Bobby. Just if you had your druthers right now, if it was the Bobby cast starring Bobby Evers from Bobbyville, what would you what would you God. rank as number one? That's hard. I know it's like, hard because like on the one hand, like I do some like when I hear Castaways and Cutouts, I hear a first album. Like I don't necessarily agree that Her Majesty sounds like their debut. Like I do hear a first album on Castaways and Cutouts, mm-hmm. but but it's still so perfect. <laughs> That I don't know if I want to like seed number one to picaresque, even though that's also pretty perfect. Yeah, it's hard. I know. Well, it's just. Well, it's not hard for me. <laughs> Let's okay. I'll take care of Castaways and Cutouts is their best album. Okay. And, and it's I, weird. It is and weird I would to... say, sorry. Go ahead. I would say even they're both great. They're both really, really great. But. When you compare, like, because at this point you have to just start comparing like individual songs, mm-hmm. like, which is fair, put, fair gambit at this compare point. Yeah. California One to anything on picaresque, and like Sixteen Military Wives is the only thing that comes close. Yeah, and then when you start comparing like, and then but but then when you start comparing <laughs> when you start comparing weaker tracks, even even tracks that I. Again, love that that uh, like I appreciate more than like, 
I think that I appreciate the songs on Castaways and Cutouts more. I think when I yeah. look at Cocoon, when I look at Clementine, mm-hmm. when I look at Legionnaire's Lament. Grace Cathedral Hill. It, oh, I, I love Grace Cathedral Hill. I yeah. wasn't even thinking of that as a lesser track. Yeah. But then when you can you com- start comparing that to um, On the Bus Mall or Mariner's <laughs> Revenge song or From My Own True Love Lost at Sea. Again, a beautiful song, but I don't ever really want to listen to it. And like Bagman's Gambit, for me, there's nothing as weak as Bagman's Gambit on Castaways and Cutouts. But wait, man, Bobby, I was re-listening to Bagman's Gambit like in March, and I was like, "Fuck, this is so good and so much better than some of the other stuff." (laughs) (laughs) That like, man, um. I feel like... Bobby's torn right now. He's splitting in half. Nothing's right, I'm torn. I'm all out of faith. Guys, let's work Natalie and Bergilia albums. Number one, <laughs> debut album featuring Torn. Number two, that covers album that this she did. Hard. White Lilies. God, I know that. Um, I feel like I can live with it if we make Picares number two. Because you're right. Like, those songs on Castaways and Cutouts, comparatively, are perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I can't honestly... I knew I had literally no idea what was going to be our number one album going into this. I really could. I had no idea. I was just so fascinated, and I wanted to hear the debates. And it was way more <laughs> aggressive a debate than I could have possibly imagined. And I love it because, guys, we now have a ranking starting at number seven. What a terrible world! What a beautiful world! With one album out of chronological order. <laughs> oh number shit! Number six, The King is Dead for 2011. Going backwards, Hands of the Love 2009. The crazy one, Her Majesty at number four. <laughs> the Crane Wife at number three. Picaresque at number two. Castaways at Cutouts taking the game. We did. We do that. did that. Oh not what God. I would have done. But guys, <laughs> here's the best thing <laughs> about we collect. This is a did. fantastic. This is a fantastic ranking. And what we want to do, we obviously have a lot to work out still. So here's what I want you, the listener, to do: a comment below. I really, there is no way y'all never you, comment. I know there's no way you agree <laughs> with this exact order. And I really want to hear your arguments below. I want to hear if you're Team Bob, you're Team Taryn. I'm really curious about that hashtag. It let's make a trend. And then the other thing I want you to do is listen to the podcast right after this, which is the Happy Hour Mini Sode, and we're gonna get all this stuff out it's gonna be amazing and great but in the meantime and by right after this he means next week and except unless you're listening to way in the future in which case it was right next to the other one <laughs> time is time is in flux we're all gonna die but uh let me just go ahead and say it this way first taryn thank you so much yeah, uh, i'm so glad you're here bobby you swung by the studio and you brought by. all this stuff and i loved it and thank you for being here yeah. You're you're like a living Colin Malloy song. What stuff did I bring? Uh, you brought you the know. dude, the fire. Oh, okay. The baller the, presence. Did I bring the sass? Your ideas? <laughs> I thought you were Canadian because I thought you were from Saskatoon. Saskatoon. You brought your knowledge. Yeah. Okay. You're also a living cartoon, and I love that too. All right. Exactly. Very hey, good. guys. Listen up. Thank you so much for listening. We're heading out. Listen to the Happy Hour Mini. So, guys! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus oh, wow. wow. I'm saving That's that for the uh, I'm saving wow. that for the uh, after feature cut. <laughs>